A um, couple other things with Casario's conversation today with um, me and Seth. Um, I felt like, John, he was trying to. I, I asked him about the comments he made a couple of times in that press conference. He literally said that if there were a coaching candidate who who didn't want him as the GM, basically, that he would respect that if that was a decision of the team to move on from him, which I thought was a really strange thing to say. I've never heard a GM say anything like that before. And there were a few other times where he didn't really attribute it to a potential coaching candidate. He was saying in that press conference Monday that if, you know, he wasn't doing a good job, he would be next after Lovey and David Cully, which I, is probably true. Um, it felt like, especially the part where he said that he would step aside for a head coaching candidate. He kind of walked those back today and I think was just trying to essentially say he was being accountable on Monday for his performance. And he knows that this franchise isn't where they're supposed to be right now. Is that how you interpreted him today as well? Well, first of all, I thought it was very convoluted and confusing. Nick's the most convoluted interview I've ever seen. Yeah. You mentioned meandering. Boy, he does. He doesn't meander just off the road. He meanders out of the state. And because uh, I've been reading it and cutting stuff for my column I'm doing for Gallery Sports. And I think he never said I would resign. He's not going to resign. He don't be owed $20 million. He's not going to walk away from that. Yeah. And he's not going to be fired. He has it in his contract. He has control of personnel. The only person he could have been talking about would be Sean Payton. And uh, Sean Payton's not coming here when he's got a general manager who has control over personnel. And Nick's not giving that up because then he'd be a glorified personnel director again so they could cut his contract down to about a million from five million. So it made no sense. And I'm glad you guys asking me clarified it because that will be in my column as well. Oh, good. Um, I guess the other thing, John, uh, the, the, as newsworthy, it sounds like things are progressing very well with John Mechie. Did you hear that part of the interview? Yeah, everybody knows he's coming back and everybody's fired up about it. He'll be like an extra second round draft choice, good slot receiver. They still need another one. You know, exciting to think next year maybe they have Quentin Johnston from TCU with the 12th pick and one wide out. You have Nico Collins at the other. That's two big receivers. Then you have Don, John Mechie, the third in the slot. But that is very exciting to know how hard he's been working as he's gotten his treatment for leukemia. And part of that is I remember David Quisenberry. He lived in the weight room while he was undergoing his treatment for leukemia. And so that's great news about Mechie. Yeah, I, the part where Nick said that he, you know, Nick works out the same time Mechie does on Fridays, I guess he said. And he said that Mechie is in better shape now than he was when they drafted him back in April. And when you consider that he's been through cancer treatments in the interim, <laughs> I mean, that's that's really encouraging, I think, if you're a Texan fan, that not only is he going to come back, but at least physically – and again, it's the eyeball test with Nick Casario. There's medical stuff that needs to happen, I'm sure, between now and Mechie getting back on the field. But that's a really encouraging sign, I would say. Absolutely. All right. You want to get to some mailbag questions, John? Sure. Okay. Let's do it here. Um, Edmund Heck. I don't know if he's any relation to Charlie Heck or his father, Andy. Um, but he says... Um, I'm as annoyed as most Texan fans with Lovey beating the Colts and losing the first pick. However, their preseason win total is four and a half. So if that had held up four or five wins would have actually put the Texans between third and six somewhere, depending on who they beat. I remember the talk being that they would need to package their pick 
with Cleveland's pick to go get a quarterback if they finish with four or five wins. So they're really in that bad of a situation compared to what we expected. So I guess, John, Edmund's question is a long way of us putting the topic out there, which you and I, we talked about following the game on Sunday against the Colts, but now we've had a few days for that, the fall from one to two to kind of simmer a little bit. Um, how do you feel about the situation the Texans are in right now with the number two overall pick, knowing that there's still some Texan fans out there that are angry about what happened on Sunday? Well, for fans to be angry about what happened, that's fine. I'm not angry. I wanted them to get the top pick. I wanted them to lose the game. But I also congratulated Lovey and his, his players and his coaches because they always play to win. Cal McNair wanted to win that game. They never go into a game, a team wanting to lose. And so now they have the second pick. It, uh, boy, the key is it's a great deal for the Bears. Number one, Bears need defensive linemen. They could take Jalen Carter or they could take Will Anderson Jr., the two best prospects in the draft. They're higher rated than the quarterbacks. But if they trade down, say, with Indy, they might be able to get one of those two or they might lose out on one because what if Arizona swaps with somebody that wants the lineman the Bears want? Maybe the Bears will stay where they are to be guaranteed. Maybe Nick will give them a pick to flip. There's no way he's going to give up that Browns pick in the first round. So there's nothing to be done about it. They got the second overall pick. There's a whole lot of places to be worse. And let me ask you something. Um, because they, let's see, they'll pick 30, what, 33rd overall? 33rd, yeah, because the Dolphins lost their first-round pick because of the tampering. So there's only 31 first-round picks. The Texans pick second in every round. So the Bears are like, it's like they if they're picking 32nd, now they traded that pick to the Steelers. The Steelers oh, did they? will be picking, yeah, for the Chase Claypool. Oh, for Claypool, yeah. Who didn't do squat with the Bears. So it's like the Steelers with the 32nd pick, it's like they have two number ones because 32nd usually is in a uh, – uh, is the first rounder and Texans had five picks in the first three rounds. And I want to remind people, they got Damian Pierce with the fourth round pick they got from Cleveland. So I think Casario's done a good job in personnel considering what he had when he got here. And uh, if he likes, I, I'll guarantee you people are going to freak out over Bryce Young's size when he gets to the combine and uh, they'll love everything else about him. C.J. Stroud, his last game was against Georgia. By the time we get to the draft, people forget about that. So I do know that Nick, he's going to want people to think he wants to do something that he doesn't. Yeah. You know, John, it's funny. You mentioned C.J. Stroud in the game against Georgia. I would say after that national championship game, one of the winners of that national championship game without having even played in it or even been in the stadium was probably C.J. Stroud. After you see what – what Georgia did to TCU in that game, offensively and defensively, but for CJ's purposes, defensively, what TCU did in that game to an explosive TCU offense, man, Stroud, for, for the most part, had his way with that Georgia defense for a lot of that game in the semifinal. He sure did, and Max Duggan was off target from the get-go, saved his worst for last. He'd been tremendous. Georgia just had him in the running game bottled up. And, uh, yeah, I think now when you look back at it, you go, hmm, I was uh, on the fence about C.J. Stroud. And, he, and he's if you look at his last game from the previous season, the bowl game, he threw for over 500 yards and six yeah. touchdowns. He was magnificent. When this 
when these evaluations are over, we got another three months. We got, you know, pro days, combine, you got everything. Uh, Stroud may be clear number one over Bryce Young, and uh, it just depends on who if the who the Colts like, what Chris Ballard has already said. They'll do whatever it takes to get the quarterback they want with that fourth overall pick. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be intriguing as we get closer to the draft. No, it is. It's going to be awesome. John Alfredo has a question that I think a lot of people have. Uh, Lovey Smith's been fired. Do you think the new coach comes in if he'll keep any of the existing assistant coaches for his new staff? If, if so, which coaches would you expect would be the best ch- would have the best chance of being kept by a new head coach? Uh, one thing that that I would point out: Casario and Easterby hired Cully's coaches. Lovey hired his own coaches. The new coach would insist on hiring his own coaches. Even if he's a coordinator with one year, Nick doesn't need to be getting involved except as a resource since he's had a lot of experience in the NFL and he knows a lot of coaches. And uh, I, uh, Frank Ross, of course, a special teams coach, and maybe he wants to go, go somewhere else. He's tired of losing, but maybe his family loves it here. Frank did a tremendous job. I think George Warhawk who was one of the most highly respected offensive line coaches in the league at Jacksonville, came here for a year. I, they might keep him. Danny Bradley has been the head coach since Bill – I mean, running backs – Danny Barrett has been the running backs coach since Bill O'Brien. Other coaches have liked him enough to keep him. But you don't know. Uh, there's a report by Aaron Wilson that uh, Michael Fleur is getting fired by the Jets, uh, who came with Robert Sala from San Francisco. So would D'Amico want to take him? New York media is saying that report's not true. We'll see. But uh, the new guy has got to be able to make up his mind. Nick said some of those guys, they may want to keep them, but they've told people you can, you're can you free to look. All right. Chris in the ATL says that um, we're seeing a lot of credible and exciting head coaching candidates on the interview list. We also saw a similar process early on during the previous two head coaching searches, and then then came Cully and Lovey. Now Cal is saying he's going to be more involved in the process. That is something Cal said at the press conference on Monday. Um, Chris's question, if McNair really is taking a more active role in the hiring process, do you expect a legit head coach to be named? And if so, does that mean Nick is on a short leash and we're going to see a lot more joint decisions made by the power couple Cal Serio, he calls them the power couple of Cal and Nick. Hey, John, can you? I know, I, I know you're going to clarify and talk about Cal's involvement in Lovey and and uh, and Cully's hires. Can you clarify that for people? Uh, Cal's previous involvement in the other hires, and I I don't know how big a change this is, honestly. That Cal no change talking, whatsoever. Yeah, no change whatsoever. Cal yeah. McNair sat in every coach's interview and asked questions going back to Dom Capers. His dad always wanted him involved in everything. He sat in on every interview they've had since he took over for his dad when Bob died. He actually took over for Bob in 2018. Everybody Mm -hmm. thinks he just did when Bob died, but Bob was fighting a serious battle with cancer in 18 when Cal was over overseeing that. He's he's the one who named Bill O'Brien general manager. He fired Brian Gaines. And he had a lot of influence from Bill O'Brien. Jack Easterby came in in 2019. He got really tight with the McNairs, even though everybody told them they were nuts. 
And so he's going to be involved in every interview. And and Casario will say, Cal, what do, you, what do you think about these candidates? And he'll leave it up to him. And then he'll make his recommendation, which he said in his news conference. And then the McNairs will say yes or no. And they'll say yes. They always sign off unless he has somebody. That, and this person won't get on the interview list, but it's somebody that has New England ties. I'm pretty darn sure the McNairs will not be interviewing anybody with ties from New England. And because they know how the fan base feels about that connection, and there's nobody on the list right now. Uh, and as I told you and Seth, that person can't even have changed planes at Logan International. Well, you were so you 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 were emphatic about that was funny too, John. We laughed about that. You were saying that to us. Can't even have flown over Gillette Stadium. Right. That, that's when the McNairs would put their foot down. And 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 so Nick will say, This is the guy. I'd like to hire, and I'm sure that Cal and Hannah and Janice McNair will say, okay. Yeah. And I think they will get a much better candidate. Last year, Lovey was a con. He didn't get the job because they're going to hire McCown. And uh, I, and I'm guessing it was Hannah McNair who said, okay, let's step back from this. Nick, let's revisit all this. And that's how, well, let's interview Lovey. And Lovey wanted a job. That's how he got hired. I believe that the David Cully was hired with no experience as a coordinator because Easterby had a big role on it, didn't it? Casario had just gotten here first week of January. Their search committee had already interviewed several candidates and i think that easterby took somebody if the guy was better than they thought great and we'd keep him a year but otherwise let's get somebody in here if it doesn't work we're going to our josh mccown so is, is nick basically when he stands up there in front of the media and he takes all those bullets that he did on monday about hiring two head coaches and now he's getting to hire a third and taking all the bullets that he's taking in print media in cyber media in with fans on social media and all that he's basically taking the bullets for jack easterby it sounds like well that these jack, are the jack's yeah. fingerprints at least on the cully thing were, were very very distinct jack wanted josh mccown i yeah. had i wrote this i've talked about it on 610 before the season was over 20 i had two or three players tell me you watched He's going to do everything he can to get McCown. They're really tight. They were tight before he got here, and I didn't believe it. And I I didn't believe it. And I think that's one reason Watson wanted out. He didn't want Easterby having so much control because at that point they hadn't interviewed Casario. And I think Nick is not taking bullets. It says he's he he's he recommended them too, but I think this is the first clean. Search when I say that there's no strings attached, there's nobody pushing anybody else, and he and Cal McNair will do the interviewing. I know Janice McNair has listened in on some of the interviews because she is the controlling owner, and uh, so and I'm and and Hannah McNair may too, and uh, and then they'll 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 research, do everything Casario said they do, and then Casario will say, I think we should hire this guy. And Cal McNair and the McNair family will say, okay. 
John, Joe Q wants to know if there's a guy out there who's already been a head coach, maybe had a taste of success and then didn't sustain it for whatever reason. And then they were, they were let go from their job. Um, that might be a candidate. The, the names that Joe throws out there, Mike Zimmer in Minnesota, Jason Garrett in Dallas. Uh, I don't think either of those, but can you think of a guy like the closest thing I can think of to something like this would be Frank Reich more recently, you know, that he had a decent run in, in Indianapolis, but they can never settle on a quarterback. Or do you think that the, do you think that the candidate list is going to look like it looks right now with six young, you know, energetic up and coming coordinator, well, up and coming head coaches, but, but good young coordinators. I think because Nick Casario said we can't be pigeonholed into any certain thing. They might interview a couple of former head coaches. Mm -hmm. I would love to have, if you are one of these coordinators, they've got to have a former head coach on the staff, Mm -hmm. whether it's somebody who's an assistant head coach, associate head coach, like Lovey Smith was, whether it's, he's an offensive coordinator, like Frank Reich has been an offensive coordinator who didn't call the plays. He's been a, he's been an quarterback coach. Frank's a great guy. I'd love to have him on the staff. If they have a small quarterback like Bryce Young, I'd love to get a guy like Cliff Kingsbury, who's coached quarterbacks on the run and of all sizes, going back to when he was in college. And, uh, in fact, the Patriots were talking about him. And I think Kingsbury will be in demand as a coordinator, and he's a great guy. So I do think this, they have got to have an experienced guy for the young head coach, and I say young, he might be 42. He's got to be able to have somebody to bounce stuff off of. That's one reason they kept Romeo Cornell around, because Romeo was great. He never gave your, his opinion unless you asked, and David Culley consulted with him a lot. Blank check Gary Kubiak for D'Amico Ryans as his OC, John. Walk yeah, a big... I'd love to see that. He'd be great for coaching Bryce Young because he could coach those quarterbacks oh. rolling out. But I don't see Gary uh, being interested in going back to work full time. He likes fishing and riding his tractor around his farm and traveling to see his boys and his grandkids. Too does much. he? Does he like money, John? Does he like sk- give him blank to five million dollars to be an offensive coordinator? Well, I would think it'd be like Minnesota where. Uh, Kevin Stefanski was the uh, offensive coordinator, and they brought him in over Stefanski. Mm-hmm. As, uh, forget the role that he had, but he worked closely with Stefanski, who called the plays for Mike Zimmer. I could, I'd love to see him in a role like that. Now, oh. the new head coach, if he's an offensive coach, he's going to be, I'm pretty sure he'll be calling the plays the first year. When Gary was hired, actually before he was hired, because he wouldn't talk to me when I went up there, I knew he was going to be hired because Bob McNair told me. And so I went to Denver and I did interviews. One of the interviews besides Pat Boland was uh, with Mike Shanahan. And Mike, I told him he's going to get the job. And he goes, well, Gary's going to want to call plays. All offensive coordinators want to call plays. And at some point, might be one year, two or three, he's going to find out he needs to focus on the big picture and let somebody else call plays. And he did that with Kyle Shanahan and helped Kyle get a dead job with his daddy in Washington. So everybody would love to see Kubiak come back, but I don't see it. Last one, John, non-football. Do you think Carlos Correa regrets not taking the five-year, $160 million offer from the Astros before the 2022 season? That's from Bobby in spring. Bobby, I consider Carlos lives here. All of his friends are here. His wife loves it here. In off season, he's hanging out with Altuve and Bregman and, and, 
I'm guessing that he wishes he'd done it, especially in light of the contract he's getting from Minnesota to go back up there and freeze for a team that's not very good instead of staying here and winning a World Series ring. And uh, I like him. I feel bad for him. But you talk about a guy that's been through the ringer. And if the Giants and the Mets are so concerned about that plate down in his lower leg, I'm amazed that the Twins aren't too. But they do have him on a totally shorter and yeah. different contract. Yeah, and he's been in the building there, so they know what his effect is on the clubhouse. They know they know him. They they you know they've he's a, he was a twin last year. I think it's a great deal for the twins. I think it's a, I think that is a good deal for the twins. Six years, two hundred million for Correa. You're locked into him through age thirty four, and I think it's good for fans too. Who wanted to watch Correa play third base? You know what I mean in New York. Like Correa at shortstop is one of the more entertaining non-hitting things to go watch at a baseball game. He's tremendous to watch play shortstop. Who wants to watch him pigeonholed over at third base? So I'm glad he's going to keep playing shortstop, although uh, that might impact Jeremy Pena's ability to defend this gold glove that he won this past season. Well, he played last year, and uh, he didn't do that well at the plate, and everybody acted like he was great, and he was not. He missed 26 games, and uh, – I tell you what, they were not good with him. There's a good chance they're not going to be good with him again, and I'll guarantee you, even though that's a lot of money. Yeah. If he's the kind to look back when he's laying in bed at night looking up at the ceiling and the Astros are still winning, of wishing that he had stayed here. I, I think he wish. I think he was wishing it while he was working for TBS during the postseason at Astro Games, watching the Astros win. Well, I think I guess he was doing the ALCS when they were in town. Uh, doing those games. So, I, yeah, I can't imagine that Carlos Correa doesn't have severe, severe uh, regret over – look, the consolation prize is he's making $200 million up in Minnesota. That's not a bad landing spot for him. But uh, that's the other thing, John. Like, he was planning on being a star in either San Francisco or New York, like big, big markets, and now he's in Siberia. <laughs> you know, like it, he, he also lost a chance to go to the World Series with uh, the Mets, who are really yeah. good. Nobody's going to pick the Twins. George Springer's got a better chance to win a World Series than Correa does because Toronto's loaded again. They just play the toughest division. But uh, I often wonder, what if Springer was still here and they didn't need a center fielder? Yep. Now, Correa's easier to stomach because of Jeremy Pena. Hopefully he doesn't have a sophomore slump. He picks up where he left off in the playoffs when he was tremendous. But uh, I kind of feel bad for Correa because – you He's know, a good guy because he's a good guy and he was great for the organization. Yeah. And he stood up during the scandal. And, you know, no matter where his back and glove are, his heart's going to be right here. No doubt. No doubt. Still bleeds orange, I'm sure. Hey, John, if you had to pick one of the former Astro free agents that have left, one of the former Astros who left in free agency over the last four or five years, like the marquee ones. So I'll just go through them real quick. Charlie Morton in 2018. I think Morton's still with the Braves, right? He didn't go somewhere else this offseason. No, he's still playing. He's still with the Braves. Cole with the Yankees. Springer with the Blue Jays. Correa with the Twins. Verlander with the Mets. You've got to pick one of them to win a World Series ring with. Who's going to be the first one to win a World Series ring if they do, you know, if any, with their new team? You had to pick one. Uh 
Well, Morton's been there so long, it's just weird. I mean, he won a World Series ring, right? Oh, yeah, it. that's right. They did. Yeah. Duh. Okay, we'll put Morton aside. I, Sorry I think about that. Verlander, because the Mets won 100 games last year, they they were and they've spent a lot of money. Yeah. Even though Jacob DeGrom left, Verlander's more durable. I would say Justin Verlander, because the way we watched him pitch at that age last year, coming off all but one game of being out for two years, I would say – Verlander with the Mets. My second choice would be Springer with the Jays. Really? I had a call with the Yankees. Huh? You, you think the Jays are going to be better than the Yankees? The Yankees the can't get past the Astros. Well, the Jays can't get past the, the, the at least the Yankees are in the ALCS, John. You know, the Jays can't get past any. The Jays couldn't get, the Jays couldn't close an eight to one lead on the Mariners, by God. Oh, that's a great point. I forgot about that, but I keep reading. I read this one guy on MLB.com, and he has been doing the next 10 World Series. I saw that. Like the last, and he didn't pick the Astros in any year. Didn't pick them to make World it. Series. They don't, they're not even in any of them, let alone winning them. Yeah. That's obvious he doesn't like the Astros. I think it's obvious stupid. the guy's a dumbass. That's what not, I think. Not including them in there. But uh, I just – everybody says the Blue Jays are going to be great, but they still – like the Yankees, they have to get past – the Astros. That's it, man. That's it. The AL runs through Houston, baby.